I want to invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We've been teaching a series on authority for a number of weeks, and I want to conclude that series this morning. Now, if you've been with us, you may recall that we've used Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 as the text scripture where Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be shall by any means hurt you. But this morning, I want to go back to the basics. And that's in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Jesus has, uh, has just concluded what we know of or what the church world knows of as the Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about the goodness of God. He's talked about the blessings of following God. He's talked about the, uh, the, the willingness of God to give of himself to people. Uh, God never leaves you or forsakes you. God will never uh, turn his back on you. He's told, them, told the people there that were assembled a number of things, a number of wonderful things about God's characteristics and his nature. And he says, uh, concluding in verse 24, Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Another translation says, puts them into practice in his life. Whosoever heareth these sayings and doeth them. You can hear them without doing them. I think a lot of the church world has heard and not done. But he said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not for or because it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, here's the hearer but not the doer, he shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the same rain descended, and the same floods came, and the same winds blew and beat upon that house, just like it did the other. And great was the fall of it. Storms of life come to all of us, don't they? Circumstances of life affect us all. But he said, Jesus is saying, the difference is being a doer of the word. The effect of those storms of life, the effect of those circumstances on your life will be determined by the degree that you are a doer of the word. Then he concluded, or it says in conclusion, it said, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The word doctrine just simply means teaching. Now, why were they astonished at his teaching? For or because he taught them, as I'm reading from the King James, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, the translators clearly reveal their attitude toward what's going on. You'll notice the word one. I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's the same way overhead, if this is the, the way that the translation reads on the overhead or not. But um, uh, if you'll look in the King James translation, you'll find that the word one is in italics. That means whenever you see a word that's in italics, the translators added it for clarity of meaning. So they clearly understood that the one related to authority was Jesus. It would literally read from the original Greek for he taught them as having authority. And not as the scribes. Now, if you look up the words as and the word having, now that may seem simple because I mean, how many more, how many different meanings could the word as have? The word as literally means this. It means which, it means how, or it means the manner to. The word having means to hold. So literally this reads, Jesus taught them how to hold authority. And not as the scribes. Now that would be something for them to be astonished at. If Jesus is teaching them that he has authority. Which is what the translators of the King James seem to believe. They seem to interpret it that way by putting the word one in there. 
If the, if the meaning here is Jesus taught them that he had authority. Then why are they astonished at his teaching? Why wouldn't they be astonished at him? Why wouldn't they say, why wouldn't the Bible say something like, and they marveled at his great power for he was one who had authority. But it doesn't say that. It says what they were astonished at, what they marveled at was his teaching. And folks, clearly he just taught you that you could have authority based on putting the word of God in your life. He just taught you that you could have authority over the storms and the circumstances of life by being a hearer and a doer of the word. That's what they're astonished at. They're astonished because Jesus taught the everyday man, the common man. Here's how you can have authority in life over circumstances and situations that attack you. And the key to that authority is the word of God. You know, it's an interesting thing when you get to the word of God. So many people have a different idea about it. So many Christians have a different idea. It's so common to to have among the church where people say, yeah, I believe the word of God, but they don't live by it. Well, how could you live by the word or how could you believe the word and not live by it? I mean, it's either true or it's not. There is no middle ground. Now, you hear a lot of other people say, well, it was just written by men. Yep. Men that were inspired by the Holy Ghost. So it's not the men's words, it's God's words. Yeah, but the Bible's full of contradictions. Show me one. You can find contradictions in the text, but you can't find contradictions in the scripture. You can't find any scripture that contradicts any other scripture. You can find it in the text. That's translators. Infallible men translated the Bible. No question about that. There are certain scriptures that are translated in a way that are contrary to, and in some cases exactly opposite to the original text and the meaning. That's a fact. But all you got to do is just be a casual student of the word to read into what the original text was, and you can come away with what the Bible's trying to say. So there's a lot of different ideas about the Bible, but Jesus is saying very simply this. He's saying if you'll live by the word, you'll have victory over the circumstances of life. You know, the Apostle Paul is a marvel to me. I often wonder if God had revealed to Paul that his letters would be saved for us. Sometimes I think, yeah, maybe he knew that. And other times I think, no, he couldn't have known that. One thing that he did know, he knew that the whole world would be judged by his gospel. He said so. Now, folks, I got it. I got it. That's either knowledge from God or extreme arrogance. It's got to be one or the other. He said that the whole world would be judged by his gospel. Now, the gospel he's talking about is not that Jesus is raised from the dead. That's not what he means by gospel. He wasn't the first one to proclaim that. The apostle had been telling people that and getting people saved before Acts chapter nine ever came around where he met where Paul met Jesus. So that can't be what he means by gospel. The gospel he's talking about is what Jesus did and what it provided for us. Peter says about Paul's gospel, he says, our brother Paul writes things that are hard to understand. So there were things that Paul had revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that Peter and probably many of the other disciples or the other, the other apostles didn't understand, didn't have a handle on like Paul did. Most probably that's because they didn't have the training in the Old Testament that Paul did. Paul tells us about his own experience. He said he was trained as a chief priest, as, a, as the, 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 the high priest. In other words, the, the high priest's uh, teaching and training was that they had to memorize the Old Testament and the law. Now, they did that as unsaved men. 
If I thought about having to memorize the Old Testament, my mind would go tilt. Yet that's what they did. They had an understanding of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the law and Moses, the law of Moses and the prophets. They had such an understanding of it that when Jesus revealed certain things to Paul, it became very clear to him. Oh, here's how this related to that. Here's how it related to this Old Testament scripture. Here's how it related to this prophecy. He had understanding of that that Peter didn't know. So Paul is able to identify how the Old Testament ritual was fulfilled by the work of Jesus. Therefore, here's what it provides for us. And that's what he said. The whole world will be judged by my gospel. Now, what would that mean for Paul? That would mean that Paul would either have to expect that Jesus is coming back before the generation, his generation died. In other words, everybody's going to hear the things that he preached. I think that's one of the reasons why he traveled extensively on his mission trips. He's trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. So either it's going to have to be saved or God's going to have to bring somebody else along to keep teaching it. Or people are, or Jesus is going to have to come back before that generation passes away. That's why I think sometimes, okay, Paul must have known that his letters are going to be saved. But then I think on the other hand, if Paul knew that his letters were going to be saved, where are the letters to the other places? I mean, if it was me, and I'm not trying to put myself in his category, but just thinking from a human standpoint, if I know that my letters are going to be saved for the rest of the church family throughout however long it takes for Jesus to come back, I would have been writing letters every day. But where's the letter to the Berean church? I'd love to see the letter to the Berean church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that they were more noble. That means they were better born. They were a higher class of people than the Thessalonians. Because they received the word with readiness of mind. They were open-minded to what they heard. And they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things Paul said were true. Well, what scriptures? Paul's got to be referring to the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled those things. I'd like to see the letter to them. Now, Paul wasn't able to stay in Berea very long because the Jews from Thessalonia stirred up trouble and ran him out of town. We never hear anything else about the Berean church. But the Bible says many of those people believed. Many of those people believed. And then it talks about even the chief women. A lot of the chief women of the city believed. You know, it's an interesting thing. How It's an interesting study. If you're interested in it, it would be an interesting study to look at how many times the Bible talks about the chief women either believing the word or stirring up trouble against it. It seems to emphasize them more than the men. You ladies, you can push your husband either either toward the things of God or away from them. And don't think for a minute that's not what the Bible means when it talks about. But what happened in Berea? What happened in some of the other places that Paul went to that we don't have letters about? What happened in those things, in those places? What happened concerning those people? Man, I'd love to see some of those letters. Maybe Paul wrote those letters. Maybe those weren't saved for us. I don't know. I don't have the answer. But I do know this. I know that the thing that concerned Paul the most and the thing that he prayed for the people that heard his gospel more than any other thing is that their eyes would be open to who they are in Christ and what God's plan was for their life. You know, we look at authority as being an event-oriented type thing. We look at Jesus casting out devils and we think, oh, look at the authority he had over devils. We see Jesus commanding sickness and disease to be healed. And we say, well, he had authority over sickness. And he did. Those things are great. And those authority events are terrific. But folks, there's a lot more to authority than just events. 
Authority is supposed to be something that you live in your life. It's supposed to be something that you operate in, not just go from event to event. And a lot of times the things that that um, the things that you live rather than just the experiences that you have, they don't get the same attention that the others do. But it's no there's no less need for authority. There's no less importance for authority in your life. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, which is a pattern prayer. He said he prayed this for all the churches. He prayed that, the, that, uh, that God would give unto those who already believed, those who already knew that Jesus was Lord and Savior, those that were already filled with the Holy Ghost, that God would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That means getting saved is not the end, is it? That means being filled with the Holy Ghost is not the end, is it? That means there's a continual learning process that should continue every day for the rest of your life here on the earth. He prayed that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they would know what is the hope of their calling. Now, what does that mean? Know that they're saved? Well, of course, they already knew that they were saved. He's talking about knowing God's plan for their lives. Then he goes further to pray that God would cause them to know who they are in Christ, what belongs to him because of Jesus and the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. You know, here at this time, there's uh, kids are graduating from high school and then they're graduating from college. And, and it's like it's it went to a graduation ceremony the other night. It's so funny because it's like the kids, it, it, their attitude is we're finished and now we're ready to go out and into the good life. And I'm sitting there at this graduation ceremony and saying, I wish somebody would be honest enough to say to those graduates, it will never be easier for you than it has been in high school. You're about to face real life. Yet they're acting like some milestone has occurred. They're finished. And now it's all downhill for here. Now we can just go find that $100,000 a year salary in the corner office and whatever. Then you hear about college graduates. Do you know that uh, I heard a statistic this last week? I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard a statistic on the radio this last week. It said that 78% of last year's college graduates are unemployed. I'm sure that blesses every parent that paid for that college education. There's such a tendency in the world that we live in to think that education is the key to success. Well, we're finding out that education alone is not the thing. But you know what the percentage of people that are unemployed that know the plan of God for their lives would be? Zero. You can't be unemployed and know the plan of God for your life. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I know the plan of God for my life and I just got laid off. Then enjoy your vacation. Because if you know the plan of God for your life and will be faithful to follow that plan, there's no way you can be without a job. There's no way that God won't open you a door and lead you to the right person to get you in his place. And that's what Paul's praying for people. He's praying that they would know the plan of God for their lives. Do you? You know what God's plan is for your life? I didn't ask you, have you been a successful architect or are you a successful mechanic? I didn't ask you those things. I didn't ask you what you do as a career. I asked you, do you know the plan of God for your life? Because you may be a successful architect or you may be a successful mechanic, but that means God has given you gifts to do something with your life. I think too many people are just trying to earn a living. 
Yet the Bible says that God has, through his word, given you authority over the circumstances of life. You know, I was thinking back at some things this, um, this last week, really wondering what to minister on this morning, to be honest with you. And, uh, and the Lord just, in, in a number of different ways, there were different people that said things to me this week relating to things in the past. And I thought, you know, I haven't taken some time in a long time and just thought about the things that God has done with us. It's so easy to get caught up in what you want him to do next that you forget what he's already done. And I started thinking. I started thinking back to how the church started. The Lord spoke to my, to my heart and then shortly thereafter to Beth's heart about coming to this place and pastoring. Now, we misinterpreted that. We thought that meant come out here and take a hold of a group of people that were already going and, and build up a church and stuff like that, and it didn't turn out to be that way at all. We started with us. There was one family that came the first Sunday morning that we had church, and they felt tricked because of the way we put the advertisement in the local paper. They came in and said, well, we thought this was a church that had been going for a long time. And I said, well, we have. It's been about 10 minutes now. <laughs> we started with us. We knew one family in the area, and two weeks after we moved here, they left to Texas. Texas is where people go that don't want to follow God. We didn't have anybody, but we knew God had spoken to us and we struggled. There were, man, there were things, there were things God told me, you know, Lord, okay. Even before we got here, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to work? I'm not expecting the church to support me. We're not starting with anybody. So how are we going to support ourselves? Uh, Beth already planned to get a job. She got a job at a little department store over at Laguna Hills mall. And so I I asked the Lord, what am I going to do? And he told me before we ever got to California, he said, Mike, if you work and let a job support you, he said, the church will never get to where it's supposed to be. Now, folks, I'm always the first one to tell people, go get a job. This idea that I'm, I'm going to quit my job and live by faith. If you can't live by faith with a job, you will starve without one. But God spoke to me. Well, during the first several months, I mean, things were so tough. Things were so tight. We, were, we still had a house we were paying for in Tulsa. And, and uh, man, rent out here. Dear God, rent. It was all the money in the world. There can't be any more money than the rent cost. We come from the land of Oklahoma where rents cost $200 a month. So we've got, we've got um, um, house payment back there, and we've got rent payment out here. We've got church costs out here. It got tough. So I, I finally just said, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I understood what you said, but I, I just got to go get a job. This just didn't right. Trying to live off best salary, and God was blessing her, but, but this just didn't right. So I tried to get a job. I'd get the newspaper or the want ads out and where it would advertise for people to throw papers. They wouldn't call me back. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I'm not exaggerating a bit. I'm not going for the joke. I'm telling you the truth. That, I, they would not call me back. They would be ads day after day, week after week, and they would not call me back. I finally got one interview for a job. This was in 1986. Finally got one guy. It was delivery. Uh, uh, advertised as a delivery job. So I said, okay, well, I could do that. It wouldn't cut into the other things that I've got going on. So that'd be great. And then I finally just asked, I said, well, what would I be delivering? He said, beer and wine. <laughs> I said, you know, I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> that was the point where I told the Lord, okay, I got it. Now I understand. 
Message received. And it's an interesting thing during that first year. The first year was really tough for us. Um, during that first year, there were two different times, two different situations where somebody came and tried to offer their group to our church, to merge with our church. One of them was pretty large, over 100 people. And it, it, you remember over in um, John chapter 3? If you're not familiar, turn to John chapter 3. You might not be familiar with this. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking about the miracles. And Jesus talks to him about being born again. Do you remember the story? Nicodemus says, Rabbi, verse 2, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus is thinking naturally, how can you be born again? So he says, how can a man uh, be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be, bold? He's, uh, be born? He's thinking natural birth. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's talking about a natural birth and a spiritual birth. And then he said in verse 6, and verse 6 is really what I want you to see. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Folks, that's true no matter what something looks like. So in that first year of our church, there were two different times, two different men that brought their groups over to our church and tried to merge with us. And I said no to both. And as soon as they walked out of the door, after I said no, I'm thinking, why did I do that? Of course we would want the people. We could teach the people the word. They'd get in line with, with what the Bible says. They'd be willing to, to accept the truth and whatever. But what was happening is in those early days, the devil was trying to corrupt something that was born in the spirit and turned it over to the flesh. Both of those men had those groups because they had split other churches. Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. That's tough when you're in the day of small beginnings. That's the reason why the Bible has to tell you don't despise those days. You may be in small beginnings in certain areas of your life. It's important that you realize it won't always be like this. Then just a year or so after our church was going, maybe, well, almost two years, I guess, maybe. There was another church that started in the area. And boy, this guy that started this church, he was charismatic. He was uh, a host of one of the TV um, programs that they, they had, one of the TV networks out here. He was everything that the devil tells me I was supposed to be. He was Mr. It. Well, they started a church, and they started a church with a 1,000 people. That's a real blessing to you when you start a church and you don't have a 1,000 people. So, I mean, they just hit the ground running. Went on their TV show, and they were advertising it every night. They called themselves America's Church. I thought, what does that make us? Russia? <laughs> and boy, they were blowing and going. They hit the ground running, and they just got bigger from there. Well, what do you do about situations like that? I'm thinking, I know the Lord sent me here, and now they're in, the, they're in my town. What am I supposed to do? Folks, you have to handle things spiritually. I sent them an offering, sent them a letter welcoming and blessing them. And they even mentioned me on TV. They said, oh, yeah, we got a letter from even the other churches like us around here. I got a letter from that word of faith guy, whatever his name is. 
I never watched them, but I saw that one. The devil makes sure you see the right things. Well, they went on for about a year or so, maybe a year and a half. And then all of a sudden, things blew sky high. He had an affair with somebody in the church. His family was torn up. The church blew apart. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, folks. No matter what it looks like. No matter how it appears. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Even if it's small. Even if it looks insignificant. If it's spirit born, it'll last. Then we went along for a while and we realized we're meeting in a school building. God supernaturally did something with the school building. We didn't realize till later how supernatural it was. The day that we found the place that we thought, all right, here's where we need to be. I called the principal of the school and he said, well, I just got off the phone with the church that's been using our, our facilities for the last year. And they said they were through using it. Did you know? Did you all have that worked out? I said, no, I didn't know. I'm new to the area. I don't know anybody around here. So God made a place for us to live. So we stayed there for about three years and then we realized we need to move. We need something permanent. Every time we tried to take a step to dig, to build um, or, or let our roots go deeper as a church, the devil always fought us tooth and nail. So we wound up renting a building. We didn't know it, but it was two doors down from where America's church was. And the week that we signed the lease on our building, that last Sunday was the Sunday that their church blew sky high. Well, within another couple of weeks, we had to go to the city for a conditional use permit. Well, one of the reasons the church blew sky high, in addition to the immorality issues that they had, was that this conditional use permit that had been given to them, on credit, so to speak, they issued the permit, let them start meeting, and then they were going to make these changes. They never made the changes. So people in the city had lost their jobs. So we walked in there with a conditional use permit with the same street name as America's church. And the guy looked me in the eye and he said, you will never get a conditional use permit for this property. That's the guy eight months later that signed the paper. And it was a struggle every step of the way. Every step of the way. And every time we'd run into these problems, every time we'd run into a roadblock, I'd say, wait a minute, I know God sent me here. I didn't, pick a, I didn't get the map out and say, well, they've got pretty weather, let's go there. We've had a lot of people come through since. We'll show them around, they say, yeah, I can see why God sent you here. And we just laugh. Say, yeah, I'm called all the resort capitals of the world. And see, that might be the way that it looks from the outside, but I knew God spoke to me. I knew I had the plan of God for our lives. Folks, when you know the plan of God for your life, nothing can stop you. Except you. The only thing that could have stopped us anywhere along the way was for me to give up. Well, we stayed in that building for a while, and then we came to a place where we said, we need our own property. So we found this place. God had to save this place for us because the first time I knew the developer that uh, developed this area, the, the whole of the Foothill Ranch area, he was uh, a board member at, uh, with Brother Hagen. And so he had called me at one point in time, probably around 19, uh, well, maybe 1990, maybe 91, something like that. And he said, Mike, I want to show you some property. I said, okay. He said, you want, you, do you think your church would like to buy some land? 
And I said, well, you know, we're, we're really not in a position to do, do that right now. But I don't know. We, we're going to need some somewhere along the way. That's for sure. So he said, well, let me show you this property. Well, the roads weren't even in out here. So we got in his four-wheel drive truck. He forgot to bring his aerial view to show me where everything was. So we got in his four-wheel drive, and we started jumping creeks and pushing trees over and, and, and all this kind of stuff. I thought we were in Hemet. <laughs> it took us forever. I really did. I thought we'd cross the Saddleback Mountain and we were over on the other side of the mountain. And so he brought me out on this property. Now, it was a whole lot different because they built this property up about 40 feet. And so it was, it was pretty much the, the level of the street down below us. And so, but even then, I mean, there was nothing but trees and he had a nice view from a little hilltop and, and uh, that type of thing. So he said, uh, uh, he said, well, what do you think? Do you think this property would work for your church? And I said, well, it's beautiful property. And, and anybody would love to have it. I mean, I, I can see the development as it comes about. It would be terrific. I said, but this is so far away from where we are now. I said, I'd have to give my church up and start another one. So he said, well, okay, if you don't want it, then we'll go ahead and put it on the market. I just wanted to give you first shot at it. Well, the Presbyterians got a hold of it. And they worked on it for about two years. And it came to, came to, to the way the thing worked out, and I, I don't know too much about the Presbyterian church, but everything's by committee over there, I guess. And it came down to the fact that one person disliked another person on the same committee so much that they fought over the thing and let the whole deal go sour. And so now here it is two, two and a half years later, and the developer calls me. By this time, all the roads are in, all the utilities are in, nothing else is built. None of the houses are here, none of the other buildings are here. But the, um, the utilities are in, the roads are in. So he said, Mike, I want to show you a piece of property. I said, okay. I'm thinking it must be a different piece of property. I'm thinking he would remember that he showed me this a couple of years before. So he drives us out here, walked on the ground. By this time, everything was built up. Everything was the way that it is now. Walked on the property, and there was, this, there was this green light on the inside. There was something on the inside. I knew that I knew that I knew this is it. So we got to talking. He didn't even remember that this was the same piece of property that he would showed me a couple of years before. I started asking him. I said, now, where is, the, how, where is this in relation to that other piece of property you showed me? He said, what are you talking about? So I had to remind him that we looked at it before. He said, well, no, this is the only piece of property I've ever had for churches. This is it. So God saved it from the Presbyterians. <laughs> now, folks, I want you to get this. I said no, but God said yes. So he saved it for us. Now, was I supposed to say yes before? I don't know. I know that when I walked on the property the second time, I had something different than when I saw it the first time. Was that my own thinking? Was that related to what I thought the first time? I have no idea. But I know this. I know when you find the plan of God for your life and pursue it, when you're faithful to pursue God's plan for your life, nothing can stop what he wants to happen, what he has destined for you. Every one of you has a destiny. I really don't like the way a lot of people use that word, but in this case, it's absolutely true. So we started developing. We started our building. Oh, dear Lord. Wasn't that a fun time for those of you that were here? Prayed about which contractor to get. The contractor the Lord told me to pick sued us. Think the devil won't play with your head over that? But Lord, you told me to pick them. I didn't even want them. You told me to pick them. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. Let me show you something else about following God. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, this is after he's baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost comes on him in bodily shape as a dove. It said, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. First place the Bible says Jesus was led after he was anointed with the Holy Ghost was the wilderness. Now, folks, I know a lot of faith preachers will preach that God will only lead you into blessings. And there's no question that the blessings of God belong to each and every one of us. But you can't get to the blessings unless you travel through the wilderness. You come up with the idea that all it's going to take is you just believing and confessing and the blessings of God are going to fall on you like ripe cherries off of a tree. You got another thought coming. Because the road to blessing is through the wilderness. Because it's through the wilderness that you find out what you're made of. It's in the wilderness you find out the faithfulness of God. He led us into the wilderness. We wound up being sued by that contractor. Picked another contractor to finish the job. Wound up being sued by that contractor. We had 13 different lawsuits going at one time. And we didn't do one thing wrong. Not one thing wrong. Delayed our project by years. Cost us money. Finally, we wind up in mediation. Mediation is informal court. Mediation is where the contractors pick so that they set the rules. I believe that there will be contractors in heaven. I have not yet found anyone in my experience that qualifies. People give lawyers a bad rap. I've had a lot less problems out of lawyers than I've had out of contractors. So I'm sitting in mediation. Hoping for justice. But folks, they call it the legal system, not the justice system. And I'm sitting there day after day after day. I'm listening to people lying about me. I'm listening to people lying about what happened. I'm listening to people lying about what they did. I'm listening to people lying about what was agreed to. I'm listening to lies... Over and over and over again, day after day after day, sitting there at the table thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I know what I want to do. I want to call fire down from heaven. Do I have authority for that, Lord? You remember over in Luke chapter 9, this happened with Jesus? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 says that Jesus is going on his way. Um, let's see, verse 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this is at the end of his ministry. This is after he's done most of his miracles. He said, and he sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they, meaning the townspeople did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. In other words, they, the disciples, the two that went ahead said, we need a place for my master. You know, the prophet, the one that's doing all the miracles. He's on his way to Jerusalem, but he needs a place to stay tonight. And they said, no, if he's just staying for the night, forget it. Get out of here. Not exactly the treatment you would like if you're the son of God. And so the disciples, when his disciples, verse verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? Now, they did not say, Jesus, are you going to call down fire? They said, Jesus, would you have us do it? 
Now, folks, I got I to suggest something. They considered it a real possibility. Otherwise, why are they asking? They're not saying, Jesus, are you going to do it? Well, of course, Jesus could do anything. The religious thought is they said, Lord, would you have us do it? We'll do this. All we need is your say so. That tells us a little bit about how they understood things to work, doesn't it? And Jesus answered and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. See, with the idea, the desire to send a pox upon your enemies. That's never God. It's never God. Jesus rejected by the people just turned and went somewhere else. Instead, the Bible says regarding your enemies, it says do good unto your enemies. It says to pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. In other words, pray for the people that are lying about you. So I'm spending day after day after day after day in mediation with millions of dollars on the line. With perhaps the life of our church on the line. Praying for the people that are lying across the table from me. I'm praying that God would bless them. I'm praying that God would show his goodness to them. I'm praying that God would cause their eyes to be open to the truth. I'm praying a blessing on them. And folks, hour after hour after hour, I mean, pretty soon you run out of things to pray about. So I started praying for their families. I started praying for their businesses. I started praying for everything that I could think that related to them. There were times where a question would be answered to me by, or asked me by my attorney. He'd have to shake me out of what I was doing and say, Mike, did you hear me? No, I'm sorry, what? Because I'm busy praying for these people. They're lying and I'm praying for them. Now, there's only one reason that I'm doing that, and that's because I believe the Bible to be true. Because I didn't want to. That's the last thing in the world I wanted to do. But I knew God sent me here. I also knew at that time, if God doesn't do something miraculous here, we're toast. But God wouldn't send me here to lose the church in the court of law. That's what I reasoned. So I'm praying for them day after day after day. And you know what happened? Because I prayed for the blessing of God on them, they won those lawsuits. Now, I'm sitting in, in, in mediation every day, and I'm saying, Lord, there's only one reason we're in this mess. That's because you told me to pick these people. These people were not my idea. They're your pick, not mine. So we lost. We lost, well, about a million and a half dollars with attorney's fees and everything else involved. I thought that was the end of the world. Oh, dear God. I just knew that my praying would turn things around and make us win. I just knew that would happen. Not so much. But I knew God sent me. Every time, every time we'd hit a setback, every time we'd hit the wall. And, and folks, during that time, if you weren't here, you, you can't imagine the pressure we were under. I have no idea what I said for five years in church. I was honest with everybody. But I'd come to church every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night. I'd come and, and, and say, Lord, I have nothing to give to these people. What in the world are we going to do? And the Holy Ghost would show up. Every time. He'd show up. 
And I was honest. I told people along the way, folks, I, I hate to give you this news, but another lawsuit was filed this week. Another lawsuit was filed next week. You know, things like that. We lost 60% of the people that we started the project with. Folks, I know how to empty out a church. I've learned very well. And I, I didn't even blame anybody for going. I'd tell folks, look, I know that this news, it's bad news. I know this news is going to cause some of you to want to go. I said, please just come shake my hand before you go. Just let me hug your neck and tell you goodbye. Nobody ever did. But you could just see. There they'd go. I'd stand up here after the, uh, or stand in the, um, the, well, at that time, I guess we were meeting in the school building again. I'd stand at the front of the auditorium and just watch people go out and wonder, is it the last time I'm going to see them? I'd talk to the Lord about it. Are they gone too, Lord? What about them? Are they gone now too? Man, those were tough days for me. I don't know how anybody else was dealing with it, but it was a tough time for me. But I knew God sent me here. I knew we started because of something that God told us to do. I'm not out to just have a church, folks. If it was up to me, I mean, other than just knowing that this is what God has designed for me to do, this is not the career I would pick. And I didn't pick this career because I had no other options. There were other options that were available to me that would make me a lot more money. But I was pursuing what God had for me. I was following what God told me to do. Well, you can well imagine the announcement of that we lost the lawsuits. What a joyous time that was. We lost a lot of people that day. A lot of people were hanging on saying, well, if it's really God, if God's really in this, then we'll win. The end result is we'll win. But we didn't. You know, it's a funny thing, though. All we lost was money. Now, what the other people lost was a lot more than money. Because five years down the road, you couldn't find one of those people that were still in business. Many of them had lost their families through divorce. Some of them had lost their health through sickness. And one of the main principles had lost his life. Now, you may be thinking, well, what are you saying, Pastor Mike? Anybody that crosses you is going to die? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'd like to say that. But that's not the way it works. But folks, when somebody takes a stand against something that God has directed to be done. You're fighting against God. You're not fighting against people. They thought they were fighting against us. You know, one of the biggest uh, learning experiences for me during that time. We were, it was right toward the end of the, the uh, lawsuit, and we were trying to consolidate damages, and we'd been trying to, to limp along, trying to get this building built anyway during all those things that were taking place. And uh, so the, the lawyer set up a, a conference call. And it was a, it was a call between uh, um, different specialists. There were church finance specialists that he got on the line. There were uh, church contracting and building specialists that he got on the line. There were um, uh, other, other legal aspects other or the church just people that had anything to do with with any aspect of our case both church and and legal and um and there were about uh, i think there were about six people on the line on the on the conference call that we had 
And so each one, the, the, uh, our attorney said, okay, well, I've sent you letters. Everybody knows what our purpose is, but let me go over it real quick. Uh, I, I'd like to hear from each one of you as to what you, having gotten all the documentation, what you think the church's damages are and what condition is and what you, think the, what you recommend for the church from this point forward and so forth. Well, the first guy starts off and he says, well, he said, uh, I've got recommendations, but Pastor Webb, let me say first of all that I think it's a miracle that your church is still alive. And I thought, well, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Tell me how much money I can get. That's my thought. So he gives his recommendation. Next guy comes up and he said, well, he said, before I say anything, I've got to reiterate what the other guy said. Pastor Webb, I've been in church finance for years and years. He said, churches don't survive this. The fact that your church is alive is a miraculous thing. Third guy comes on there and says, Pastor Webb, I'm not even Christian. And I know this is a miracle. That was the lawyer. (laughs) One after another. Now, about the third guy got my attention. And I sat back and I thought, maybe there's something more for me to get out of this than just what our damages should be. One right after another. And then they came back and kept saying it. I must have heard 20 times on that conference call what a miracle it is that our church was still alive. And I thought, isn't that interesting that people that aren't even associated with this recognize the hand of God at work? And folks, I've got to tell you, at that point, I wasn't even considering that. I had looked past that to other things. But sometimes it's good to be reminded of what you should know and what you should see. See, I was looking for the walls of Jericho to fall for us on top of our enemies. <laughs> what I wasn't expecting is to find that it's just as great a miracle for manna to show up in the wilderness day after day after day after day after day. Now, can I ask you a question? And I, I, know, I know this can really be taken wrong, and I, I don't know. I, I, well, I'm tempted not to say anything about it, but because I know how it's going to sound. But it's important for us to recognize not everything that says it's God starts in the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We're not the only church out there like this. We're not the only ones that have faced things that should have killed us and didn't because God was with us. But why isn't every church like that? Folks, the Baptists don't have the trouble building things that we did. Denominations don't have the trouble. I, there's, a, there's a pastor over in Riverside. He and I were, were competing. Neither one of us wanted to win. But we were competing for how many lawsuits would be against our church. <laughs> he had a piece of land that they were trying to build on that was finally taken over by eminent domain. City fi- just just did them wrong in so many ways. And so he had different lawsuits going and, and he had heard about what was going on with us at the time. So he contacted me and we wound up seeing each other. And, and so he said, well, Mike, I've got nine lawsuits. How many do you got? I said, nine. I'd kill to have nine. <laughs> so we started talking about some of the things that we're facing. And he made this statement. He said, the Methodists don't have the trouble we have. Baptists don't have the trouble we have. He said, the denominations don't have the trouble we have. He said, you know why we're having the trouble we're having? Now, this is an older guy. He was probably in his late 50s, 60s, maybe by then. And this was, what, 20 years ago? What? That's not that old. 
It was then to me. Anything else you want to share? What I'm not telling you is I'd go home every night and she'd say, Oh God, Mike, what are we doing? So he said, you know why we're having the trouble we're having? I said, no. He said, because we were born of the Spirit. Because what we're doing, we started off because God told us to do. He said, you just go do something because you want to do it. He said, the devil won't fight it because he knows it won't last. But he knows if we get a foothold, he knows he'll never be able to uproot us. Well, that's true for his church. They went on in spite of it. They're doing great things. We're just getting started with what we're supposed to do, folks. I'm just getting to the place where I'm starting to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do. It's been 26 years, and I'm just trying to figure, just getting to the place where I think, okay, now I understand a little bit. And we're just getting started. Just getting started. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. This is why, in my opinion, this is why Paul spent so much time Praying for the t- praying these prayers for the church. He starts off in verse 16. I cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. That means he prays this over and over again. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, that can't be just salvation. They already know him as savior. Well, then what knowledge of him then? What revelation is he talking about? That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the eyes of your spirit, another translation says, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. He can't just be saying that you know the hope of his salvation. He can't be just saying that he, you would really know what it means to be saved because he talks about what belongs to you in Christ later on in the prayer. The hope of his calling means God's plan for you. The greatest measure of authority that I have ever realized in my life has to do with the plan that God has given me. Now, because I know the plan that God has given me for my life, I was made to pastor this church. Folks, I'm not just a pastor. I'm sent here. If I leave here, I don't know what I am. That's not to say, yeah, I'm not talking about mission trips and things like that. I go on mission trips and I I stand in a totally different anointing. God uses me in a totally different way on the mission field than he does here. Totally different. Completely different. But I know that I'm sent here. And I know that I can believe God for certain things because he has sent me here. I can believe for health because I know God sent me here. I don't have to worry about dying early because God sent me here. I don't have to worry about not having my needs met because I know God sent me here. Everything that I can look at as far as the blessing of God and the plan of God or the, 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 uh, the things that Jesus purchased for us through his sacrifice regarding me personally, I can all relate back to God sent me here. And it gives me a stronger confidence. And that's where I think so many Christians miss it because they're just trying to earn a living and go to church. God didn't call you to make a living and go to church. He has, however, a special and specific call on your life. I know of people that have a special call on their life to provide finances. They have a special call of giving on them. And as a result, they can believe God with greater confidence for the blessing of God on their business 
because that's their purpose. Their purpose is not just to make money for themselves. Their purpose is to make money for the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's not just enough, my opinion, and I believe the Bible bears me out on this. It's not just enough to make a living and go to church. It's so funny to me. I've had people tell me through the years, well, Pastor Mike, you can't, believe, you can't expect people to believe God like you do. That's exactly what I expect. Yeah, but, but Pastor Mike, you're called to the ministry. It's different for you. No, it's not. I don't believe God because I'm called to the ministry. I believe God because I'm a believer. And because I'm a believer, I found that God called me to the ministry. But whatever it is you're called to, you're called to something. And the purpose for that call is greater than just you and yours. And it seems to me that too many people lack confidence because they think they're just getting it for themselves or just trying to reap the benefits of God for themselves and they don't have a purpose greater than themselves. But you find God's purpose for your life, which is always greater than you, You'll find a place to believe God in a greater measure than you ever have before. So he prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That means what belongs to you in Christ. So the hope of your calling and what belongs to you in Christ are two different things. Thirdly, he said, and to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Which belongs to us as believers. Now you'll find that the, when, you, when you discover the plan and the purpose of God for your life. You discover that. You'll find out that there's greater power related to your purpose than just power to live your life. There are things that I say as a pastor. Positions that I take as a pastor I would never take as an individual. Positions of authority. But that place, that office, that purpose that God has for me has a greater authority than just me as a, as a human being, me as an individual believer. I believe that's true for everybody. And you don't have to be called to the ministry to have a greater measure of, of the grace of God on your life. Turn with me finally to John, uh, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Folks, lest you think that this is something that we did, that I'm thinking that I'm special or whatever... Nobody deals with self-doubt more than I do. Trust me on that. I'm not talking about us at all. Other than the fact that as long as we pursue what God has sent us to do, we can't fail. Notice what God told Joshua. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. Saying, Moses' assistant, another translation says, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all these people, unto the land which I do give unto them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. By the way, that includes the West Bank. Look at a map. This idea about Israel giving away land. God said it's theirs. Well, you believe what you want to about it, but God said it's theirs. God believes it's theirs. Then he tells Joshua, verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee 
all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Stop and think about what he's telling Joshua. What is he telling him? He's saying nobody for any reason or by any means shall be able to rob you of the victory that I've given to you. That's what I'm talking about. That's the reason why I've told you some of the stories of the early days of our church. The history of our church. Nobody can stop us from what God has given to us. Nobody can rob us of the victory. They took our money. But we're here and they're not. I consider that victory. Nobody can steal the victory of the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. But you have to find it. Like I said, I don't like how a lot of people use the word destiny. Destiny and passion are two of my favorite church words. Passion. Find your passion. Tell that to young people. Oh, you just got to be passionate. Folks, the Bible calls passionate zeal. And it says zeal without knowledge is a waste of time. So passion without a knowledge of God's word will just get you in trouble. Okay. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee. That means there is nothing that the devil can do through anybody that can rob you of the victory that's yours. If you find the plan and the purpose of God for your life. Now he's identifying Joshua's purpose. You're in charge. You're the leader of the children of Israel here. And as long as you pursue that, he gives him a charge. As long as you pursue that faithfully, nobody can stop you. Nobody. Now what's he telling? Verse 6. But you're going to have to be strong and have a good courage. This always baffled me. I used to read this and say, now why if God's saying nobody will be able to stop you, do you have to have good courage and why do you have to be strong? Because I used to look at it like call down fire from heaven against your enemies. Nobody will be able to stand before you. Somebody gets in your way. And naturally that might be the way that we like for it to happen. It doesn't, however, happen that way. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. But what are you going to do when it takes time? You're going to have to be strong and of good courage. You're going to have to be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Folks, if your enemies fall away from you as soon as they show up, you don't have to be strong and you don't have to have good courage. Strength and courage comes because it doesn't look like it's working. That's why those are necessary. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance to the land, which I swear unto thy fathers to give them. In other words, it'll work even though it takes time. It'll work even though it might look like sometimes it's not working. It'll work. Remember, it'll work. Verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Telling him again. Only be thou strong and very courageous. He's saying be faithful to what I've given you to do. Only be strong and very courageous. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. He says the key is to be a doer of the word. And then he tells him one final truth. Verse 8. This book of the law, the word of God in other words. The same thing Jesus said would determine whether or not your house stood or falls. When the storms of life come. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate. So meditating must have something to do with your mouth then, right? 
shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. To what end? That thou mayest observe to do it. To do all that is written therein. For then, when you're a doer, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know the key to our success? Whatever you consider that to be. The reason that we're still here. <laughs> First time we came to town, there was a, we'd been here for about, uh, been meeting for about, I don't know, three weeks. Another pastor called me on the phone. pastor in the area called me and said, hey, I want to introduce myself to you. Heard about your church. Saw the advertisement in the paper, whatever it was. He said, I want to introduce myself to you. He said, um, uh, and let you know that uh, we had a, a pastor's meeting, pastor's fellowship last Monday morning. And we were all sitting around and we got to talking about your church. I said, oh, really? I didn't know anybody thought, knew we were here. Certainly nobody that would come knew that we were here. People are staying away by the thousands. So I'm glad to know that somebody knows we're here. He said, yeah, the consensus is you won't make it a year. Thanks for calling. I appreciate your call. Guess what? I'm the only one of the bunch that's left. Not, thank you, thank you, thank you. I need to credit all the little people. That's not what I'm saying, folks. We have one and only one key to success, and that is we have spoken the word in truth into our lives. We've built the word of God through confessing it into our lives, and we've acted on it. And that puts you over every time. There's only one thing that can detour you from God's ultimate blessing in your life. And that is not knowing what his plan is for you. And then secondly, if you know, not being faithful to it. And this is how you be faithful to it. You have a destiny to fulfill. And it goes bigger than you just providing for your family or you just having your own stuff. Nothing wrong with providing for your family. Nothing wrong with having your own stuff. Have all the stuff you want. But there's a greater purpose that God has for your life. And until you find that, you will never, ever be satisfied and when you do find that you'll find a greater anointing to step into and to operate in the things of God that you've ever found in your in, in your existence to this time it provides a greater confidence for you it provides a greater power for you it provides a greater measure of the things of God on your life because you know that you know that you know you're exactly where God has got you has put you and you're doing exactly what God has for you to do and nothing can substitute for that not education not knowing who's who. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You've been so faithful to us. You've been faithful to, to me as, a, as individually. You've been faithful to my family. You've been faithful to this church. You've been faithful to the people of this church to the degree that they have put your word in practice. Father, I pray, even as Paul prayed for us, that you would open the eyes of our understanding that every person in this room and every person under the sound of my voice would find your perfect plan for their life. And that when they find that perfect plan, they would pursue it with all of their heart. They would build the word of God into their spirits like they've never done before so that they live by your word in every aspect, in every area of their existence. Father, you watch over your word to perform it. You're so faithful. You're so good. You're so merciful. I know there are people here that are in the wilderness. And I ask you, Father, to strengthen them with might. Just as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in chapter 3. 
that you would strengthen them with might by your spirit and their spirits. That Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith and that they being rooted and grounded in love would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and depth and breadth and height and that they would know the love of God which passes understanding. That they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, show yourself strong on behalf of my people, the ones you've given me. Show yourself strong on their behalf. Show yourself strong, Father, so that they might fulfill the purpose that you've put them here on the earth to fulfill. Oh, Father, what great joy there is for us when we follow your perfect plan. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all the good things that you've done for us. In Jesus' precious name, if you agree with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Don't forget uh, prayer school this evening at 5 o'clock. Healing schools at 6. Marilyn Neubauer will be ministering in healing school. And uh, uh, Food Court Sunday is uh, immediately following the service. God bless you. We love you. And have a great day.